This is John 21, 1 through 17. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Is it the Lord? It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Before I, before I start, I just want to acknowledge that sound. I know it's distracting. I'm sorry. They've been trying to figure it out, and they've not been able to figure it out, but bear with us uh, this morning. Uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you for these stories that we've been meditating on over the last few weeks where we see encounters that the risen Jesus had with his disciples and the conversations that that he had with these uh, different women and men uh, and the things that we learn about you and about what Jesus came to do and why it is that he rose again from the dead. And so this morning, as we look at this last story of Jesus and Peter, would you help us to see how you move us from shame uh, with your love uh, and remind us of our new identity in you? Uh, We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, So we're not sure how much time there is in between the end of John 20 and John 21. So remember that John 20, we saw on the day of resurrection, on the first Easter morning, that Jesus interacted with his disciples in the morning. And then again at night. And then a week later, uh, we read in the second part of John 20, a week later, the following Sunday, Jesus shows up again and interacts with the disciples 
and then with Thomas. Now we know from the scriptures that Jesus is on earth, that the time period in between the resurrection and the ascension uh, is about 40 days. The ascension is that moment, beginning of Acts 1, Mark 16, where Jesus ascends up into heaven since the phrase ascension. Uh, and the angels come down and say, he's not here. Why are you here? You know, uh, go. Um, and, so there, and so we've got different, several stories and accounts of Jesus showing up during this 40-day period. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before I'd made the comment that I couldn't remember of, most of the times that Jesus shows up. Uh, he shows up to groups of people. The only time that, uh, that I could recall Jesus showing up to one person was with Mary. I found another one, so I just want to acknowledge that I was wrong. Uh, there is in 1 Corinthians 15 a reference to Peter, to Jesus showing up just to Peter. Uh, so there you have it. All right, so we're in John 21, and Peter decides that he wants to go fishing. Uh, Peter is a fisherman by trade, so that's not much of a surprise. Peter decides to go fishing, and then Nathaniel, James and John, who are brothers, and two other unnamed disciples all say, hey, we're going to go with you. So uh, they went out at night because that's when they would go fishing. They would go out at night. They worked all night. It's the early hours of the day. And they've not caught anything. Now, there's actually a little bit of a debate on whether or not James, John, Nathaniel, Peter, and these two other disciples, uh, and Thomas is included in there too. I forgot Thomas. Uh, whether or not they should have gone fishing. On the one hand are those people who say, hey, Jesus had just showed up to them in John chapter 20. He had told them, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. They should have gotten with the program, and they should have gone out immediately and started witnessing uh, about Jesus. On the other hand, there are those who say, hold on a second. Uh, Jesus doesn't condemn them in the passage. Uh, and in fact, uh, as one woman I read this past week put it, uh, she said, there's nothing sinful about fishing. Uh, and the, and she uh, and the, the com- one of the other people I read was basically like, hey, Jesus does not call us to view at all that vocational ministry, right? Getting a job for serving the kingdom as your full-time vocation is not any better than being a fisherman or being a doctor or being a professor, or being a researcher, teaching, whether it's inside or outside of the home, uh, right? That all vocations, Jesus calls us to serve him in all of the different, different and various vocations that we have. And so uh, the, the concern of some would say, like, hey, if we, if, we, if we go down the road of saying they were wrong to do this, what are we inferring about all the various vocations that we have? Um, at the end of the day, we don't know. I kind of lean towards the second opinion that there wasn't anything inherently wrong. And as a matter of fact, we know for a matter, as a matter of fact that uh, Paul uh, was co-vocational in the way that he did his ministry. Paul used his tent making as did Priscilla and Aquila. They used their tent making, uh, actual literally physically making tents, uh, to support them in the work that they did. And so perhaps Peter... James, John, Nathaniel, Thomas, and these two other unnamed disciples were just like, hey, we've got to pay some bills. 
uh, we need to go fishing. Well, so it's the morning. They've been working all night, and they've got nothing to show for it. Uh, so you can just imagine uh, the frustration. You know, you do. You know, you know those days, right? Where you you worked all day, and you get to the end of the day, and you look back on the day, and you're just like, I didn't get anything done. It just feels complete deflated. You don't know, not feeling. Yeah. Okay. Bill and I are on the same page. Evidently, you are all much more productive than I am at times. Um, so, and then all of a sudden, this joker shows up. Uh, this guy shows up on the shore and he calls, hey, have you all caught anything? Now, uh, Kate and I were driving uh, this morning. We're walking in. She's like, if I had been on the boat, I would have been like, I would have been like all sarcastic back at this bozo. I'm like, where do you, who do you think we are? We're working over here. Oh, we'll put the net on the other side of the boat. That's going to fix it. Uh, and you can see, so you can imagine, right, the, the frustration possibly that these guys have. They've, they've been here before, in fact. Uh, and so what ends up happening is this guy calls and he says, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And then he says back, we'll just put the net on the other side of the boat. Now, we have no clue what they're thinking. Are they frustrated? Are they maybe thinking, okay, maybe this guy's seeing something that we don't see. Maybe this is an everyday occurrence, right? Maybe, maybe this happened all the time. Maybe they had spotters on the shore. They're like, no, not there, there. We don't know, right? But they follow this guy's instructions. They don't know who this guy is yet. They follow his instructions. And what we're told in verse 6 is that they, uh, they caught so many fish that the nets were, were, uh, were full. In fact, we find a little bit later, uh, incidentally, we know why this number is given to us. It's kind of interesting, right? That we're told that it was 153 fish that were caught uh, and that they were large fish. So this is a great fishing story, right? You caught 153 fish in one cast and they were all whoppers. They were all huge. Um, so all of a sudden now we're told is that the disciple that Jesus loved connects the dots. Now you have to know that the disciple that Jesus loved is John. Uh, All throughout the Gospel of John, John shows up in the Gospel. John's the author. He puts himself in the Gospel account, but he never refers to himself as himself unless he's speaking in the third person. Uh, Whenever he's talking about himself in the first person, he always refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Why does he do that? Your guess is as good as mine. All right, but that's what he does. So it says the, the disciple that Jesus loved says... It is the Lord. Now, that doesn't surprise us because remember, we saw two weeks ago that it was John who was, remember, uh, Mary, Mary uh, goes to the disciples and she says, uh, Jesus, is, Jesus is not in the tomb. John and Peter run to the tomb. And, we, and we're told there that John believed. So there's something in John's faith at this particular point that he's connecting dots before everybody else seems to be connecting the dots. And so Jesus, John sees this man on the shore, perhaps, perhaps he's recalling a very similar story that happened with him and Jesus and a boat and Peter and some fish. And this happens in Luke 5. Uh, in Luke 5, the guys are fishing all night. It's the morning. They don't catch any fish. As you see where the story is going, right? And Jesus says, hey, put the net on the other side. That time we are told what Peter thinks. Peter mouths off at Jesus. He's like, hey, we've been fishing all night. Like, we're the professionals here, okay? Who do you think you are? You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Stay in your lane. Um, and, uh, and, but they do it, and what happens? In that particular instance, they catch so many fish that the nets begin to tear this time the nets don't tear so we have we we have a lot of fish a lot of big fish 153 large fish 
and the nets are perfectly intact. So all of a sudden the lights go off for John and in the Luke story, what happens after that miraculous catch of fish is that uh, Peter, Peter falls on his knees and says, get away from me. I am a sinful man. Remember what we said earlier? When people see the glory of God, one of the common responses is to say, I'm a sinner. There's the, there, there it is right there in Luke 5. Um, well, this particular time, uh, Peter doesn't get on his knees and says, get away from me. This particular time, Peter grabs his stuff, jumps into the water, and swims to shore. Because, you know, that's how Peter is. Peter, Peter thinks first, acts first, and then thinks later. Um, so he leaves his buddies on the boat. And so they're having to bring the boat in with all of the fish. Uh, it says that they're about 100 yards away. So it's a fairly decent swim for Peter. But, you know, he's, he's a fisherman, so he's been in the water. He swims to shore. So imagine Peter for at least the next scene, sopping wet, okay? Uh, the disciples get to shore. They bring their fish in, uh, and they get to shore. And Jesus has breakfast going for them. Uh, Jesus has breakfast, and, and this is a wonderful story, right? Where all of a sudden now what happens is Jesus, uh, it, uh, it says that um, Jesus had a fire going uh, and that there was fish and bread on the fire. Now, think for a second. What are the stories where Jesus has fish? Jesus is using fish and bread. Come on now. Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, right? Um, it says that Jesus took bread and gave it to them. Where did that happen? Last Supper, all right? So right now, all of the little bells in your head about, oh, this happened here, this happened, like all those bells should be going off because John is intentionally telling us the story in a way that's linking back to all of these other episodes that have happened in the ministry of Jesus. And then very fascinatingly, what he says is, what Jesus says is, now remember, there's bread and fish already cooking, Jesus says to them, go get some of the fish that you caught and bring it so that we can eat it. Why would Jesus do that? He doesn't need their fish. He's already got fish. He's already got bread. I think there's an important lesson here that Jesus was trying to communicate in this episode for the disciples. And I think the lesson has got two parts to it. First of all, they, they may, maybe they failed, maybe they didn't fail in terms of being actually going out and fishing, but certainly they didn't catch any fish. They needed the help of Jesus to catch the fish. Uh, and then Jesus says, what does he say? He doesn't say, go get some of the fish that I caught for you and bring them here. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, go get the fish you caught and bring it here. One of the realities of us in whatever vocation it is that, we, that Jesus calls us to serve him, okay? Uh, whether it's pastor, me, uh, or banker, lawyer, doctor, a teacher, stay-at-home parent, what have you, okay? Jesus calls all of us to serve him and to bring to him the gifts that he has already provided, and yet in the, in the beauty of the gospel, the resurrected Lord provides you with the gifts, the skills, the callings that you have. He provides those things for you. And then he honors you by saying, bring me the fruit of your labors. And let's use that together in order to make something really amazing happen. Uh, Jesus is the host 
of this meal, and he provided fish and bread. He provided the fish that he's inviting them to bring, but he honors them by saying, bring me the fish you caught so we can use it to have a feast together. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus interacts with us in our daily lives, how he uses the gifts and skills that we have uh, and how easy, it's a sober reminder too for us, right? Of how easy it is for us to overestimate what we bring to the table, for us to think like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And, and forget the reality that we are dependent on Jesus to provide. Um, all right, so the story so far, the fishermen are fishing. They don't catch any fish. Jesus helps provide some fish. They get on shore. They have breakfast together. They eat. And then we're told, we're not told, but we're led to infer that Jesus takes Peter and they go for a walk on the shore. And the reason we're meant to infer that is because in verse 20, which we didn't read, it says that John was following them. So I think the image here seems to be that Peter and Jesus have gone off by themselves because there's an important bit of unfinished business that Jesus has to deal with Peter about. Uh, And John is following them. Uh, in this in this uh, in this conversation now, in order to understand what happens next and it 's kind of probably really well known passage in order for us to understand what happens next, we need to have, keep in mind two scenes that happened before. The first scene happens is recorded for us in John thirteen and in matthew twenty six uh, and this is where this is the last supper, and in this scene, Jesus is telling the disciples what 's about to happen. Uh, he, he says, one of you is going to deny me. And then he looks at Peter and he says to Peter, you are, I'm sorry, uh, Judas is going to betray him. And then he looks at Peter and says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, and what does Peter say? I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 26, listen, how this is how uh, Peter says it in Matthew 26. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. All right, so hold, hold on to that for a second. The next scene that we have to bear in mind is recorded for us in John 18. Uh, and this is, and also in Matthew 26, and this is the scene where uh, we find out that uh, Peter does in fact deny Jesus three times. Uh, and in the gospel accounts, what we're told is that Peter was standing by a fire. He's warming himself. It's night, it's cool. Uh, He's standing by a fire. Somebody sees him, recognizes him. Uh, In fact, one person uh, connects him to being there at the time that Jesus was arrested. Uh, And and he says, I don't know him. And then the second time he says, I don't know him. And then the third time, uh, have you ever had that moment where you use like really strong language in order to like distance yourself from something or someone? You know, maybe you you throw a little choice uh, four-letter word out there for that, right? Uh, so, so Peter does that. I mean, he calls a curse down. Um, and he, he wants to make it really clear, I don't know Jesus. Okay? That's how emphatic he is in his third denial. Uh, and so notice the scene that Jesus has just created. Right? Uh, it is not the wee hours of the night, but it's the wee hours of the morning. There's a fire. How many of us... Uh, have had that moment, right? Where you go somewhere and you smell something and then all of a sudden, like these visual memories come back to you. Have you ever had that, you know what I'm talking about? Um, First time we ever came to California, we're up in Marin 
And Kate was like, this smells just like Italy, right? So she's all these memories of being a little girl in Italy when her dad was stationed there are, are, are coming back. And so we can imagine, right, that Peter is standing by a fire and Jesus is right there. And what's he thinking? What was the last time that I was standing by a fire, smelling the smoke of, smelling, uh, uh, smelling the, the smell of charcoal and was looking at Jesus? It didn't go so well. And then Jesus takes him on a walk and he says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus is exposing Peter's sin. Jesus is coming to Peter and he is pulling out from Peter the pride and the arrogance of Peter's life. Notice what he says the first time. He says to him the first time, Peter... Do you love me more than these? Ouch. Do you remember what you said, Peter? Remember those words when you said, everybody else will deny you, but I never will. Do you still think that you love me more than they do? And Peter simply has no no response, right? All he can say is, you know that I love you. He's got nothing to say. Then a second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. The third time we get this sense uh, that, uh, that Peter is, the, the, that the wound that, that Jesus is pulling out from Peter, that it hurts, right? Because Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this time Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's like, I, I don't have anything else to say. There's no bravado, there's no pride, there's no arrogance, there's no superiority, uh, because that is what Peter struggles with throughout the entire gospel accounts. Peter constantly is struggling with this notion that he is, you know, everybody's great, but I'm a little better. You know, I'm going to be the first one to do this. I'm going to be the first one to do that. I'm just, you know... I'm the first. Everybody's great, but I'm I'm just a little bit better than everybody else. And you see that again and again and again and again in the gospel accounts, the pride, the arrogance, the self-reliance that Peter shows. And then Jesus comes in and what's he doing? He's, He's pulling it out of Peter, right? He's drawing it out as poison gets drawn out from a wound. And so you can imagine the shame that Peter is filled with. You can imagine the amount of sorrow that he has. You can imagine, can't you, how in the intervening time between the night of Jesus's crucifixion and whenever this particular episode happens, you can imagine that the narrative inside his head is, I am such a failure. I I am such a fill in the word. How could I have done that? You can imagine, can't you, the pain when Jesus is in the room on those times when Jesus appears to the 12. If I'm Peter, right, I'm like hiding behind James. I'm like, don't look me in the eyes, Jesus. I can't bear to look at you. That's me. And I would imagine that that's not just me. I would imagine that all of us would experience that, right? That many of us, all of us, in some way, shape, or form, that there are parts of our story where we have shame 
sorrow, guilt, sadness. That there are parts of our story that, you, that if you had the option of a do-over, you'd be like, oh, I already know what I would pick for my do-over. And what Jesus does is he says, through faith in me, that's not your identity. He is saying to Peter, your identity is not the Jesus denier. Thomas's identity, for last week, Thomas's identity is not doubting Thomas. That's not his identity. Peter's identity, Thomas's identity, your identity, my identity through faith in Christ is that we are risen and ascended with Jesus. Right? That the resurrection power of Jesus has given you a new name, a new identity. Right? That's good news. That's why we care about resurrection. That's why resurrection is not something that we talk about once a year, but it's something that we revisit week after week after week. And then with this new identity, with this new sense of who he is, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus says what each time? Feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. I'm sorry, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. In each instance, you have that gospel story that I mentioned earlier, right? You see Jesus, he draws out your sin, and then he sends you out. The way that the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so here Peter is being sent out to do the will of the Father, to speak the words that the Father had given him to do, to perform the works that the Father had given him to perform. And church, that's true for you too. That's true for you as individuals, but it's also true for us as a church. It's also true for us as a community that our identity, our identity is risen and ascended with Jesus. That our identity is what Jesus says is true of us. And that it is from that identity that we bring the sad parts of our lives. We bring the things that are, that the, 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 uh, the parts of our story that we wish we could do over. We bring our sin. We bring with Peter arrogance, pride, anger, sloth, whatever sin you want to bring to the table. You bring those things with, alongside of Peter. And Jesus says, you have a new name. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Go and do the works that I have prepared for you to do. So uh, to cap off the series then, right? What we see in the resurrection, what we see in these conversations that Jesus has at the end of the gospel of John is that the resurrection of Jesus is not just this little blip on the radar, but that the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally shifted the axis of reality for Jesus's disciples. That Mary, full of grief, experienced comfort because the resurrection says that death is not the end of the story. That Thomas's doubts and the disciples' fears were not the thing that would define them, but that Jesus would come and that he would give them the assurance that they need as a resurrected king, that he would give them the assurances that they needed in order to do the works the Father had given them to do, in order to speak the words that the Father had given them to speak, in order to do the Father's will. 
And then we look at Thomas and we realize that our sin and our failure are not the things that identify us. But the thing that identifies us is the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, I need an amen, y'all. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> I dub the amener. Um, because that is good news, right? That this is, this is what we celebrate on a weekly basis, this kind of life over death power. Uh, what do we do every Easter? We're not in the sermon this way, right? Every Easter, we have this little back and forth. I say something, you say something. I say, Jesus is risen. You respond. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we thank you that your son is risen indeed. Uh, we thank you that he rose again from the dead so that um, our sorrow could turn to joy so that our doubt could be assured by your presence, so that our shame could be wiped away with the new identity that you give us uh, in Jesus. Lord, would you please help us to live as your resurrection people? Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen.